Have you noticed that the final words of a person's life seem to command a little extra respect? Some of the most uh, famous last words are credited to Napoleon's sister, Alicia. She said on her deathbed, Nothing is as certain as death. Then the people around her thought she had passed until she added, Except taxes. Then, of course, uh, some people's final words are strange. W.C. Fields, for instance, on his deathbed said, On the whole, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. So it makes you wonder what he was thinking. But some last words are more profound. Lord Palmerson said, Die? My dear doctor, that's the last thing I shall do. Which, of course, was the last thing that he did. On his deathbed, the wife of Alexander the Great asked him, Who's going to rule in your place? His dying words were the strongest. Through time, Christians have also made some profound statements uh, near the time of the death. Swingley, a great uh, reformer and contemporary of Luther, said they can kill the body, but not the soul. William Carey, the great missionary to India, said, When I am gone, speak less of Dr. Carey and more of Dr. Carey's Savior. Susanna Wesley, incredible woman and mother of John and Charles Wesley, said, Children, when I am gone, sing a song of praise to God. In the Bible, we see that Joshua gathered all of Israel together and gave them his final admonition, Be courageous. Just as Moses had said before he died. And of course Joshua added those words. Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. For as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Our verses in Colossians aren't the last words that Paul ever wrote. That's in Second Timothy. Where Paul recorded in his last letter these verses in 6-8. through eight. It says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me now a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those whose love is appearing. These verses that we're going to look at today are Paul's last words of challenge To the Colossians. His last teaching to them. He had never met them. He knew a lot about them because of their founding pastor. Pastor Epaphras was with Paul as he wrote this letter. As the apostle Paul comes to the end of the letter. The main substance of his teaching is done. But concluding words can hold countless worth. And now as he wraps up his teaching he gives to his readers, two final challenges, two final thoughts to be left ringing in their ears, two final admonitions to punctuate his letter with an exclamation point, two final commands that sum up two of the essential elements of what a true follower of Christ is supposed to do. He challenges them to pray to God and to speak to men. He challenges them to converse with God and to communicate to people about God. Sometimes the most important things can be stated so simply. Paul's final challenge is talk to God and talk to people about God. Pray 
and share the gospel. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and we'll read verses 2 through 6. The scripture says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Father, we pray now that these words from your word, these words that the Holy Spirit has provided for us, that now these words and this truth would be used of you to comfort us and to challenge us and to teach us today. For Jesus' sake, amen. The first challenge is to pray. Now, prayer is simply communicating with God. It's a many-colored and varied thing. Just as there's no one certain way to talk to your spouse or to talk to your friend, so there's not just one certain way to talk to God. You can talk to God anywhere. From a palace to a prison, from the mountaintop to the valley, from early in the morning until late at night. You can talk to God walking and driving and sitting and lying and kneeling. You can talk to God with folded hands or without folded hands. You can talk to God when you're happy and and life is going great. You can talk to God when you're sad and life is rotten and anywhere in between. There's no formula There's no specific words. There's no detailed procedure. There's no particular uh, time or stance. There's no prayer language. Prayer is just simply communicating with God. Now, when we look at that way in its fullest sense, you might be surprised by how much you actually pray. By how much throughout your day you're communicating with God. Maybe a song comes on the radio And it prompts you to to thank God. Many songs that we sing are really prayers from our heart, sharing with God our aspirations, our feelings, our faith. Maybe you see a deer in the backyard. Maybe a beautiful sunset prompts you to thank God for his beauty and his love. Maybe you're thinking about your kids or your your grandkids, and it just kind of naturally overflows to start praying for them. That God would help them and protect them and bless them and bring them to himself. Maybe as you interact with that overbearing boss or that annoying coworker, your thoughts just intuitively go to ask God, I need your help. I need your patience. I need your wisdom. Maybe as you hear bad news on the evening news or in a newspaper or an ambulance goes by or a fire truck goes by and You just kind of instinctively talk to God and ask God for his help and grace for those people who are going through this time of crisis. We probably actually pray more than we really think. Because we're talking to God in various ways throughout our day. Just in the natural course of life. Talk to God. Share your heart. Share your thoughts. Share your hurts and your blessings and your burdens. Talk to him as you go about your day. 
That is at least in part what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 means when it says pray without ceasing. Continual, conversational prayer is great and important and necessary. And the spiritual discipline of focused, consistent, recurrent prayer is also necessary. See, Paul challenges the Colossians and us to continue steadfast in prayer. The challenge here isn't just to continue in the conversational life circumstance prayer, but to continue in the discipline of prayer. Because as anyone knows and has tried to develop a consistent prayer life, we know that it takes steadfastness. Part of the Greek word here for steadfastness has the word strong in it. It takes strength to develop and to continue in the discipline of prayer. The same word is used in Acts 1.14 to describe how those first 120 followers of Christ were praying in that upper room after Jesus had ascended. And before that first day of the church on Pentecost, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. This word is used in Romans 12.12 where it says rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Paul is challenging them to be devoted to prayer. To be constant in prayer, to endure in, to persevere in, to be continually steadfast in prayer. Prayer is something we need to be devoted to, to endure and to persevere. Developing a structured, consistent prayer life is not easy. It takes supernatural strength. And the next description in verse 2 underscores this truth. Paul challenges them and us to be watchful in our prayers. This word literally brings in the idea of vigilance, of being spiritually alert. 1 Peter 5.8 uses this word when it says, Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Jesus uses this word several times in Matthew chapter 26 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Says then Jesus said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his faith and, and, and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, the disciplined prayer life is a watchful, vigilant prayer life. I'm certain that many of us desire to have a better disciplined prayer life. The spirit indeed is willing. But it takes devotion and endurance and vigilance. For lo, our flesh is weak. Our prayers are not only to continue steadfastly and to be watchful, but they're to be with thanksgiving. I think the broth of prayer is thanksgiving and praise. You know, soup can have many things in it. You know, meat and vegetables and noodles, so many things floating around in it. My grandmother in Germany, my Oma, when we visited her in 1985, 
every meal started with the soup. Every time we sat down to a meal, it started with some very unique and very delicious soup. You see, because the leftovers of the day before became the soup of that day. Now, I found out that just about any leftover can be made into soup. Because the trick of a delicious soup isn't all the stuff that's floating around in it. It's the broth. It's the stuff that the, that the stuff is floating in. A delicious broth makes a delicious soup. Now, there are many parts of prayer. There's intercession. There's praying for others. There's confession. There's praying for our sin. There's petition and supplication and praying for ourselves. But for me, thanksgiving, thanking God for all that he has done, all that he's doing, all that he will do, and praise, reflecting back to God, the wonder of who he is, that's the broth that all the other aspects of prayer kind of float around in. See, Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5 have been directive in my life. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. See, when our prayers start with thanksgiving and praise, when they end with thanksgiving and praise, it makes the discipline of prayer more delicious. It makes the perseverance and the endurance and the watchfulness of prayer more delicious. In my own prayer life, focusing first on praise and thanksgiving, on adoration and blessing, has helped me to have a more continued, steadfast Prayer life. One of my favorite quotes on prayer is from Martin Luther. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of his willingness. It's great. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but laying a hold of his willingness. I think that sometimes we fundamentally come to prayer with the wrong notion. Somehow prayer is us beseeching God to do things that he doesn't want to do. Like he's some grumpy old man hoarding and holding all of his blessings until we say it just the right way. Until we've, until we've asked it enough times. Until we've waited, endured long enough. Prayer is somehow overcoming God's reluctance. He doesn't really want to help you. But if you beg just right, maybe he'll acquiesce to our requests. Sometimes we think that prayer is trying to get God to do what we want him to do. That's not prayer. Prayer is not manipulating God to get him to do what we want. Fundamentally, prayer is the total opposite of that. Prayer is laying a hold of God's willingness. Prayer is not conforming God's will to our will, but conforming our will to God's will. Prayer is not the means to get God to bless what we want, but is a means to get us to exalt what God wants. Prayer is aligning our wills and our wants and our hopes and our desires and our future, our plans, with what God wants. See, God is alive and he's doing great things. We believe in a sovereign God who is working all things according to the counsel of his own will. Prayer is laying a hold of God's willingness and trusting that he actually knows more than we do. 
See, when you start off your prayer with thanks and, and praise and thanksgiving, when you start off acknowledging who God is and all that he has done, it helps get our prayers off of what we want and to focus on what God wants, his willingness. I put on the back table there in the chapel uh, a daily prayer plan that I use. Many of you have seen it before. I've taught it before. It helps you break up your prayer plan with different themes for each day, which greatly helps in maintaining a vibrant and structured prayer life. So please feel free to take one. It can be a very helpful tool. It's pretty self-explanatory when you have it, but if you have any questions, you're always free to ask for sure. If you don't have a steadfast, structured, vigilant, watchful prayer time, this resource can be a big help in that direction. Paul's closing words to the Colossians was, pray, continue, steadfast, be watchful, with thanksgiving, pray. It's that important. Next, his closing words to the Colossians was share. Share the gospel, share the truth about Jesus and what he has done for you. I love how J.B. Phillips has translated our passage. He said, always maintain the habit of prayer. Be both alert and thankful as you pray. Please include us in your prayers. That God may open for us a door for the entrance of the gospel. Pray that we may talk freely of the mystery of Christ, for which I am at present in chains. That I may make the mystery plain to men, which I know is my duty. Be wise in your behavior towards non-Christians. And make the best possible use of your time. Speak pleasantly to them and learn to give a proper answer to every questioner. Paul teaches us here that part of being steadfast and watchful in prayer includes praying for the spreading of the gospel. Nothing we pray for could be more important. See, with the gospel, you have eternal life. Without the gospel, you have eternal death. 1 John 5.12 says, whoever has the Son... Has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now look closely there at verse 3. What specifically is Paul asking the Colossians to pray for? He's asking them to pray that God would open a door for the word. He's asking them to pray that God would give them the opportunity to share See, the passion of Paul's heart is just to have the possibility of sharing the truth about Jesus. He's praying for an open door. He's not praying for the outcome. He's not praying about results. He's praying for an opportunity, a possibility to share. God is in control of the results. We are charged, commanded to share. Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. What specifically does Paul want to share? He says he wants to share the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is a truth that has been revealed that this Jewish Messiah, this Jesus, is the Lord of all, of all people, in all lands, of all times. This Jesus is the Savior. Acts 4.12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men 
by which we must be saved. Jesus is the one and only means of salvation. John 3:16 through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. Believe in the Son and you have eternal life. Do not believe in the Son and you stand condemned already. In verse 5, Paul describes those who are, not outs- who are not followers of Christ as outsiders. See, there's two categories and only two. There's believers, non-believers. There's not condemned, already condemned. There's insiders, there's outsiders. The dividing line isn't church attendance. The dividing line between these two groups isn't how much money you've given to worthy causes. The dividing line isn't theological knowledge. The dividing line isn't race or culture or social status. The dividing line is Jesus. What you believe about Jesus is the dividing line of salvation. Jesus is the gospel message. Jesus is the good news. Today, each one of us in here is on one side or the other of the dividing line of Jesus. Today, you've either received Jesus and he's your Lord and Savior, and you're inside the family of faith, or you've not received Jesus, you have not put your faith and trust in him as your Lord and Savior, and you're outside of the family of faith. No one here knows your heart, except you and God. So evaluate. Pray. Are you a believer or a non-believer? You're a follower of Christ or a follower of something else? Are you an insider or an outsider? Secure your answer. Once you have your answer, I'd encourage you to do one of two things. One, thank God. Praise God for his amazing salvation. That he would show us his love. That he would come to this earth and live die and rise again for us to give us salvation thank him or two pray pray to god from your heart even right now confess believe receive jesus romans 10 9 and 10 if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with a heart one believes and is justified with a mouth One confesses and is saved. Confess this morning that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again for you, for your sins, for your salvation, for your life, for your eternal life. And you will be saved. Let's take a moment right now. Let's just take a moment and pray. Father, we want to pray to you, thanking you 
We just want to say thank you for us that are, that are believers, that are followers, that have chosen you as our Lord and Savior. We lift up our hearts in thanksgiving and praise because Jesus has made all the difference. He's given us life and eternal life, hope, purpose, abundant life, and we thank you. Lord, if there's some here right now, maybe right now they're praying, right now pray. And go from death to life. Go from being condemned already to not condemned. Go from being outside to inside the family of faith. Right now pray and confess that Jesus is your Lord. And believe in your heart that Jesus died and rose again for your sin to give you life and hope and joy and purpose. And you will be saved. Pray today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've prayed, believe in Christ Jesus for the first time as your Lord and Savior, please talk to me about it after the service. Now, I want to point out something that for me is simply amazing. Look at the end of verse 3. Paul says, an account of sharing the gospel, he is in prison. Paul is writing this letter from prison. In chapter 418, he asks them to remember my chains. Paul is literally chained in prison when he writes this letter. So when Paul asked them to pray that there would be an open door for the gospel, think about this now. What isn't he asking them to pray for? Think about this. He's not asking them to pray for him to be released from prison. I think if that would have been me, that would have been pretty high on my prayer list. Paul was so focused on serving Christ, it didn't matter so much where he was. His first passion was just to tell others about what Jesus had done for him. As a matter of fact, in Philippians, which is also a letter Paul wrote from prison about the same time, in the second to last verse, he says in Philippians 4.22, that some of the very household of Caesar had sent their greetings to the Philippians. That means that in this very incarceration of Paul, God opened the door of the gospel to members of Caesar's household. How many times have we lost out on what God wants to do in us, using us in these difficult life circumstances? Because all we focused on was getting out of the difficult life circumstance. What if instead we let God be God in our lives and allowed him to use that difficulty in our lives for his purpose and for his glory? Perhaps today, right now, you're in a difficult life circumstances. And all you're thinking about and doing and praying about is, how do I get out of this? When it just might be that God wants to use you for his glory, for his plan. In the very midst of the difficult circumstance you are in right now. Paul is such a great example of a follower of Christ who wasn't as concerned about his own circumstances as he was about God's will and plan. Verse 4 tells us how Paul wanted to declare the truth about Jesus. He wanted to declare it with clarity, our scripture says. He wanted to simply, clearly, accurately declare the truth about Jesus. The gospel message is simple. I think it's helpful for us to just realize for a second that if you're a follower of Christ, you know the gospel message. 
If you've come to know Jesus, Jesus is the gospel message. What Jesus did for you is the gospel message. We all have these similar aspects to our salvation. We realize that we're a sinner. We realize that we can't earn salvation by being good. That our sin had separated us from God. That Jesus died on the cross, taking the penalty of our sin. And as we believed in Jesus, we believed in him, received him, that he took the penalty for us and for our sins. And we confess him as our Lord and Savior. See, sharing the gospel is simply just sharing to people what Jesus has already done for you. It's not complicated. It's not complex. It's just sharing Jesus. It's sharing what Jesus has done for you. It's sharing what Jesus means to you. Verses 5 and 6 give us two specific examples in sharing the gospel. One, in verse 5, it says we're to share the gospel by how we walk. How we live. The actions of our lives are to challenge the outsiders. Those who are without Christ. To want to become insiders. To be followers of Christ. Do you remember maybe as a little kid you did this where you made your own club? Do you remember doing that? And all you ever wanted to be was in the club. To be left out of the club was terrible. There's the allure that something greater is to be gained by being an insider. See, Paul is challenging us to walk so wisely in Christ that the outside of our, of our lives will look at us and by observing the way we walk, the way we live our lives, they become curious. They become intrigued. What's going on there? I want some information. I want to become an insider. How's your walk? Do people look at your life and does it cause them to wonder? About why and how you're living your life? See, the gospel is supposed to be adorned with how we live our lives. But as we quoted before, faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. The second point in sharing the gospel is that to be saved, you have to hear it. That's why we spend so much money on spreading the gospel throughout the world. We have a story to tell to the nations. We have a message that needs to be heard. And that message is supposed to be modeled by our lives and declared by our lips. Verse 6 tells us how we're supposed to speak it. First, graciously. To speak with grace means to speak kindly and respectfully and gently and thoughtfully and truthfully. Talking down to people, condemning people, wagging your finger at them for sinners acting like sinners. It's not gracious. It's not drawing them towards the gospel, but it's repelling them away from the gospel and Jesus. The purpose of talking to an outsider about Jesus isn't to get your point across. The purpose is to bring them to Jesus. And arguing with them or being mean is not a great way to represent Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15 says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. We're to be gracious, gentle, respectful when we speak of Jesus. 
and our scripture challenges us, we're to speak with seasoned salt. You know, salt does stuff. Salt does stuff. It makes food taste better. It preserves food to make it last longer. Salt has an effect on things. See, not only is our communication about Jesus supposed to be gracious, but it's also supposed to be effective. It's supposed to be pure. It's supposed to be penetrating. We are supposed to use salty language. You heard that from the pulpit. You're supposed to use salty language. Not the bad kind of salty language, right? But the kind of salty language that's pure and tasteful. That's properly seasoned. So the hearers hear in a gentle, respectful way the wonders of our Jesus to us. First Peter 3.15 just said, as does the, part, the last part of verse 6 of our passage, we're to speak about Jesus gracefully and tastefully so that we may answer the outsider's questions. When someone looks at your life and says, why do you do that? We have to have an answer ready. Why are you gone every Sunday morning? Why do you spend so much time at church? Why did you skip out on work at, when we gathered at the local bar? Why didn't you flirt back to that guy that was flirting with you? Why do you work so hard? Why do you care so much about your marriage? Or as 1 Peter 3 says, why do you have hope in this world? Why do you have hope? Why are you positive even when life is so hard? Why are you nice to people who aren't nice to you? Why do you show respect to our boss? Why are you always wanting to help and to serve your neighbors? Do you know there is one simple, single answer to all of those questions? Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not about me. It's about Jesus in me and living through me and Ministering and serving. One commentator wrote, The Christians walk and talk must be in harmony with each other. Nothing will silence the lips like a careless life. When character, conduct, and conversation are all working together, it makes for a powerful witness. As we celebrate this most holy season of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior, evaluate your life. With Paul's two final challenges. How are you doing in being continual, steadfast in prayer? Grab one of the daily prayer books on your way out to help you. How are you doing in sharing Jesus? Pray for an open door. Pray specifically about sharing your faith. Pray that their heart would be open. And pray that we would open our mouths. And we would speak Jesus. He creates the opportunities for us. To steal a phrase I heard, we need to talk to God about people and talk to people about God. As we leave our final challenge here in Colossians, we need to talk to God about people. We need to talk to people about God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for this amazing apostle, Apostle Paul, 
the life and ministry that you've given to him. And how now we get to read this letter written all those years ago that was written for the Colossians, that was written for us, to change us, to challenge us, to give us insight and wisdom into who you are and to what you want in our lives. Lord, these final challenges to pray and to share. Challenge us with this. Move us. So that we leave here today more inclined in obedience, more devoted to Jesus, more like him. In his name we pray. Amen.